Welcome to Sailing in the Mediterranean and Beyond podcast. I'm your host. My name is Franz. Well, welcome back. It's uh, <laughs> it's springtime in Salt Lake City. We we have sunny. It's sunny and warm right now, but this morning it was snowing. So that's the typical Utah spring weather. It snows one hour, rains the next hour, and is sunny after that. It's uh, beautiful out there right now, and I'm looking forward to a great summer sail. I have uh, an idea that I'm planning ahead for, and I want to just share this with the group out there. My wife retires uh, this year, and I'm looking forward to living up at the summer home in the winter and (laughs) getting out of there in the winter. So I'm planning ahead, and I'm looking at chartering a 40 to 50-foot boat in Thailand, probably in, oh... December, January, February, somewhere like that, somewhere in the depths of winter when we want to get out of this cold weather here. And I'm going to be looking for some of my listeners to go sailing with me. So if this is something that might be of interest to you, write me, franz1 at medsailor.com. And I'm looking probably for a total of four other couples, for, so four or five couples all together on the boat. So if this is something that might be of interest to you, let me know. I'm just starting the thought process on it right now, gauging the interest. And I've been to Thailand twice. I I love Thailand. I've been to Myanmar as well, and I enjoyed Myanmar. And Myanmar's got some fantastic coastline if they ever allow charters to come in there and start developing it. I've looked at it from the shore I've looked at it from Google Earth. That's a, uh, a future cruising opportunity that uh, will probably come back uh, later than I'll ever get there. It'll never really happen in, in, uh, in the foreseeable future, as far as I can see. But Thailand I enjoyed. I've been to Cambodia as well and Vietnam. Uh, I like all, of, all the Southeast Asian countries. They, they are absolutely astounding bargains for your money for traveling expenses. And, I, and I'm, I'm the kind of guy that likes a bargain. So if that's uh, something that's of interest to you, let me know. Before we move on to the full episode, the question and answer period, and then the full podcast, let me thank our sponsor, Sailrite. This show is sponsored in part by Sailrite. Since 1969, Sailrite has been equipping self-sufficient sailors with tools, supplies, and knowledge they need to sew for their boats. This second-generation family business is also the maker of the Sailrite Ultrafeed sewing machine. The Ultrafeed is a portable, heavy-duty sewing machine that was designed to handle all your maritime sewing projects from sails to covers. At Sailrite, you'll find everything you need to take on your next do-it-yourself project, including fabric, tools, hardware, and even hundreds of free how-to video tutorials. Start your next project at sailrite.com. That's S-A-I-L-R-I-T-E dot com.
Get ready for today's mailbag. I like getting emails from my friends out there, so if you have any thoughts, comments, suggestions, or questions, write me franz1 at medsailor.com or use the contact form at the website. Now for today's emails. This question is from Dave Bruce, and he said, Hi, Franz, just found your podcast. Very cool. We bought a boat in France, cruising part-time, and we'll be moving her to Greece this summer. Was thinking of laying, was thinking of laying her up in an Ionian marina, but you have successfully discouraged me, and I was wondering where you might recommend to explore that might allow for more anchoring, less marina cost, stress, fewer charter boats, Additionally, would you know any good non-Ionian marinas for winter layup? Also, do any of your podcasts address how folks deal with the Schengen Accord and its limitations to non-EU citizens to spending time in the med? And finally, do you have any recommendations for a rigger and sailmaker in France or Greece? Thanks for any information you might provide. Keep up the good work. Thanks and best regards, Dave Bruce. Uh, all right. I'm okay. Let's let's talk about the Ionians first of all. Yeah, it's crowded and uh, it's <laughs> overrun with flotilla charters and charter boats, uh, but there's still places to anchor in the Ionians and really to get through any other. Well, to, to get to any other parts that you might want to go to, you've got to go through the Ionians anyway. So I wintered my boat in Previsa. And I'm trying to remember the name of the marina. It'll come to me. Oh, Cleopatra Marina, uh, years and years ago, when it was a much smaller operation. And in general, I had good experience with the marina and particularly with the manager at the time because Greek customs is a pain even for the Greeks and the Greeks will readily agree with you that uh, one of the biggest detriments to uh, business and entrepreneurship is the bureaucracy of Greece. Um, so I, I mean I wouldn't discourage you from leaving your boat on the hard in Cleopatra Marina, but again, it sounds like you've got the same issues I do, and it's like a broken record with me. Every time I have somebody on, I talked about the VAT tax. You're talking about the Schengen Agreement, which allows a non-European 90 days to be in Europe uh, before they have to get out. If you want to spend more than 90 days, then you need to get out of the EU for a period of time. And the only way you can deal with that is actually getting out. So there's a few alternatives for you. You can go down to uh, North Africa, Tunisia, which I've never been to. There used to be other bailouts. Malta used to not be part of it, but now it's part of the EU. Croatia used to not be part of it, but now it's still part of the EU. Uh, my bailout or my uh, VAT uh, reset this summer is going to be in Montenegro. And I hope Montenegro never joins the EU, but right now... They are not part of the EU, so Montenegro would be another place to go. And um, the final place really to go would be, uh, well, I'm not sure if Albania is part of it. I don't think Albania is part of the EU, so you could start the clock over in Albania. 
And one other place that you might consider is Turkey. And, and that's where I'm going to tell you to consider going is Turkey, uh, if, if it settles down a little bit. I got out of Turkey last year just because I had an uncomfortable feeling of leaving my boat in Turkey any longer. That and the fact that I wanted to go somewhere else. I mean, I've been in Turkey for over 10 years. I've spent over a year of my life traveling around Turkey, and I just wanted a change of scenery. So I went back to Croatia, which I've sailed out for three years as well. But for me, Croatia is part of the EU, and I've got the same issues, but not, not the Schengen Agreement issues. Apparently, I talked to Andrew Vick a couple days ago, and he was talking about the Schengen Agreement, and he, like me, spends two months on his boat, so it's never really an issue for us. But if you're planning on spending more than three months in the EU and you're not an EU citizen, then you're going to have to get out of the EU, and that could entail putting your boat in a marina, and traveling somewhere else, which you may want to do. You may want to get on a flight and go to Turkey or a flight to go to Egypt or a flight to go somewhere else. And I'm not sure how long you have to stay out of the uh, EU to start the time clock over again, but you can do some research on that, and maybe we'll have some people come on the podcast and give us some tips on, on how to deal with this. All right, so let's answer your other questions. Would you might recommend to explore... I was wondering where you might recommend to explore that might allow for more anchoring, less marina costs, stress, fewer charter boats. Well, unfortunately, um, charter boats have pretty much taken over the world, for good or for worse. I mean, for good, if you want to charter a boat and go visit some places that you wouldn't have the opportunity to take your own boat. Bad if you're like me and you have your own boat and you like, uh, like to go and explore places without the crowds. Turkey's getting more crowded around the Ghost Czech area. Um, the Dodecanese Islands are not too bad in the uh, Aegean. You can get down around, well, I, you know, there's really not that many places to go where it's not going to be crowded. But you've got lots of places to anchor in Greece and in Turkey. You don't have to go into marinas. In fact, I very seldom went into marinas in Greece I'd go to the town docks and tie up, and maybe every now and then I might have to pay 7 or $8, but not going into the full-fledged marinas where you'd be out uh, 70 euros for a, a night. Uh, even, even Turkish marinas are extremely expensive. I mean, if you go into Bodrum, you're going to be, for my size boat, you're probably out uh, 60, 70 euros a night at Bodrum. And in Marmaris, uh, you'd be probably similar prices so, yeah, the, the key is to avoid marinas if you're on a budget. So there's plenty of places to anchor. I would probably t work towards Turkey. You can winter your boat in Turkey, and I've wintered my boat in multiple locations in Turkey. I've always been very, very happy with the quality of the work that's done in Turkey and also the marinas or the boatyards where I've left my boat. I've never had any problem at all with... Uh, the one-on-one -on -one individual conversations I've had with Turks. And I've never had any bad experiences in Turkey, period. It's just the government scares the hell out of me. So Turkey is way up there on my list of places to go. It's out of the EU if you have to worry about VAT, and I'm not sure if you do or not. Uh, that would be where I would be looking. You might also consider wintering your boat in somewhere in Croatia, which is going to be expensive, and uh, and, I, and I don't know if you plan on living on your boat 
in the winter or hauling it. If you're going to haul it, uh, you're going to have to find a boatyard with a yard, a boat, a marina with a boatyard or just a boatyard. And there's a few of those, Dubrovnik, there's a, several around Split uh, and up the Croatian coast. And I just got a lead on a boatyard near Venice where I am going to be planning on leaving my boat at the end of next summer, but I haven't got the details on that yet. And I'll find out later. I just just made contact with an Italian sailor who's a friend of Andrew Vicks, and I called him up and talked about where to leave my boat, and he had some great ideas, so I look forward to exploring that a little further. So that's all I have for you. I appreciate you listening to the podcast. If you have any thoughts or other questions, drop me a note. Thanks, David. I forgot to answer the last part of your question until I was doing the editing on the introduction and uh, decided I better come back and answer it. Do I know any riggers or sailmakers that I would recommend in France or Greece? No, I don't. Uh, Perhaps other people in our listening audience could make some suggestions and write in and I would share them with you, either forward them to you or read about them in the podcast. I do have experience with uh, new sales being made in Turkey by UK sales out of, uh, I think they have a factory uh, near Marmaris, but the person I dealt with was in, in Bodrum, and he came out and took detailed measurements of my sail when the boat was in the water at Bodrum Marina. And over the winter, he gave me a great deal on a new jib and a new main, and I and I'm pretty happy with it. Um, I guess I, I probably should have used a heavier sail material because my other sails, which lasted 25 years, were, in a, were of a very heavy fabric and has lasted me fantastically over the, the last 25 years. Well, I think it's almost 25 years. And this is a little lighter fabric. I'm hoping to get uh, well, at least... 20 years out of the sails. I sailed with them last summer. They look much better. So the performance of my boat is much higher with the new sails, and that's UK sails out of, out of Turkey. So I can, I can recommend them. The only thing that I had a problem with is while I was away for the winter, I wrote the marina or the boatyard, a yacht lift in Bodrum, a letter to allow him to get on my boat and take the old sails off of the boat in order to make additional measurements for for making the sales, and they lost my jib, which would not have been a problem because I planned on throwing it away anyway. I don't have enough room on my boat to carry around extra sails, even though they are serviceable, so I was planning on uh, throwing it away, but except when I left Turkey and I wanted to get my VAT tax back, they required that I show the old sails on the boat, and he could only come up with one uh, sail that had taken off the boat, and the other one was lost. And he kept saying, well, where did you put it? Where did you put it? I said, I never put it anywhere. You came and took it off the boat. And they said, well, it's not in the loft. It's not anywhere. Uh, We can't find it. And I know uh, darn well that they took it off the boat. So that was my only concern. I was able to deal with the uh, VAT tax anyway, so I got my money back for the VAT tax of having sales made in Turkey because I got out of Turkey in a timely manner. That money was refunded to me. 
but I could recommend them. As far as riggers go, I've had some rigging done in Turkey. I had a, a new bobstay made at Ivalik Marina, Setter Marina in Ivalik. That's the town of Ivalik. That's in northern, uh, the northern coast of the uh, of Turkey. I mean, northern Aegean Turkey before the uh, before the Dardanelles, and that's held up. It's been fine, and that's really the only rigging I've had done in Turkey. But when I'm uh, at Yachtlift Marina in Bodrum, you know, I go out of the marina take a left and there's a full rigging shop there as well as a full woodworking shop that I've had work done on my boat. I've been really happy with the work that I've had done in Turkey. I'll just say that flat out. I I think the Turks have a great work ethic. I think they do a good job and I can't recommend anybody in Greece because I've never used anybody in Greece or France but if some of our listeners have some suggestions for you please write. All right. I got an email from Peter, and Peter can't stand how I'm pronouncing Kushadasi in Turkey. He wrote, Hi, nice podcast, but sorry to be pedantic. Kushadasi is not pronounced at all like you're pronouncing it. The accent is on the first syllable and on the I no dot, so it's more like a uh, than e. Okay, I still don't know how to pronounce Kushadasi, and I wrote you an email and asked you to provide a uh, an MP3 file or a WAV file with the correct correct pronunciation, and you haven't responded. So until I hear somebody actually pronounce it correctly for me, I'm going to continue pronouncing it Kushadasi and until I'm corrected. And even after I'm corrected, I'm an old man. I may not remember the correction. So uh, as long as I'm able to communicate my ideas to my listeners, that's the most important use for language. But I appreciate your correction, but why don't you send me an actual mp3 file for the correction so I can play it to everybody listening. All right. Thanks, Peter. And then the final email I got was from somebody, and I can't find the email, but I'll just tell you what they wanted me to do. They wanted me to conduct an interview with somebody that's, uh, that manufactured composting toilets. And there's two companies that manufacture composting toilets. One is EOS, and there's another one as well. And I've written both of them. And I've and this goes back to 2016, by the way. I was going back and forth with EOS on trying to do an interview with them, and they wanted to do it. But believe it or not, they did not have really much of an Internet connection at the factory. And so we really couldn't conduct a Skype interview, and that just sort of fell down the wayside. I know my friend Neil Fletcher plans on putting a composting toilet on his boat, so I would be interested in learning about it. I've watched a couple of YouTube videos on it, and it looks pretty straightforward. But I'm going to try to get him on the podcast and do an interview with him. So that's it for Letters this week. If you have any thoughts or suggestions, write in. That's it for today's emails. If you have any thoughts, suggestions, or comments or questions, write me, franz1 at medsailor.com, or use the contact form at the website. If you want to do me a big favor, you could become a Patreon of the podcast. I have a few listeners out there that are already patrons, and I'm 
looking for more, if you have some spare change that you could throw my way once in a while, please sign up at patreon.com backslash medsafe. And one more thing, if you like the podcast, I would really appreciate it if you could take the time to write a review of the podcast in iTunes or in your favorite podcast directory. All right, let's get on to today's episode. Well, today is another interview with Paul Manzano, but this is an interview I conducted and not Jack. And the reason I decided to reach out to Paul is I'm a do-it-yourself guy, and I, he talked about putting in his own uh, reverse osmosis uh, fresh water maker on his boat, as well as air conditioning and a refrigerator. So I wanted to pick Paul's mind a little further, so here we go. All right, I'm on, the, I'm on Skype with Paul Manzano. We first met Paul when Jack Andrews did an interview with uh, Paul and his family uh, when you were still at, in Sicily at uh, Marina de Ragusa in Sicily, wintering the, uh, spending the winter at the marina. And Paul, you left to go sailing, I guess, a couple of weeks ago. Bring us up to date. Where are you at? So it's been a, it's been at least three weeks now. Yeah. So we're we're at the bottom of the Peloponnese right now, on the third finger, near uh, Neapolis, in a in a little anchorage, with a white sandy beach, and no other boats around us. It's pretty great. So you're working your way down south around the Peloponnese, then. Yeah, yeah. Our initial plan was to go through the the Corinth Canal, but um, we found ourselves in Zakynthos and decided that we wanted to go uh, around the bottom instead of over the top. So, all right. I looked at trying to do that. Um, I've never I've never been around the south southern coast of the Peloponnese, and I looked at doing that instead of going through the Corinth Canal. Uh, oh, a couple of years ago. And I just decided that there were the distances were really long distances between anchorages. Was I misreading my pilot, or you'd having to spend long days to get from anchorage to anchorage? Well, you know what, um, <clears throat> if if you're gonna if you're gonna buzz through, if you're gonna go quick, quick, uh, you probably want to just hit the tips of the fingers. And there are some anchorages at the very tips. And that makes it that makes it a long that makes it long days because each finger is about fifty miles apart. Mm-hmm. But you know, if you're willing to spend the time and actually go up into these bays, there's some really great spots. And we're hoping to we're hoping to hit it more thoroughly on our way back um, when we start heading west again. So there's a lot of places that we wanna we wanna go and visit. It's I think it's great because there's not a whole lot of people down here. It's it's a beautiful area and it's not overcrowded like some of the uh places near Athens and the Cyclades. Well when you've when you've got that body of knowledge, I'm gonna definitely want to pick your brain about it because it's something I've never been able to add to the body of knowledge of the podcast on because I've never done it and I've never talked to anybody that has gone around the, the southern Peloponnese. So Keep good notes, and uh, we'll talk to you when you have a full body of knowledge of the area. Sounds good. All right. So I wanted to pick your brain a little bit today. Well, let me hold on. Let me back up a little bit. Tell me about your passage from Sicily on over to, uh, I guess you went to uh, Kefalonia. 
was where you cleared in. Is that correct? That's right. Yeah, we had a 58-hour sail from uh, from Marina di Ragusa, which is on the bottom of Sicily, to Kefalonia, and it was it was a fantastic sail. It was a little bit slow. Um, the wind was pretty pretty low, but we we motored all but 12 hours. Or we sailed all but 20 12 hours. So uh, most of that time was spent with the sails up and the motor off. And we had a really great sail with not a lot of swell and just just beautiful nights and uh, almost full moon. It was great. Now, how many how many people are on the boat? I think we learned this from the interview with Jack, but just refresh our memory. So there's seven of us all together. My wife and I and five kids. And uh, my oldest is 12. She's almost 13. And then Doug is 11. And so they're both able to take some day watch. Um, and, but my wife and I share the night watches. And the way we did that was... Uh, my wife, whose name is Jessica, she would uh, she would take the the nine to to midnight watch, and then I would do midnight to usually about five in the morning, <clears throat> six if I was feeling up to it, and and then she would take the the dawn, and I would sleep for a couple hours, and then we'd be up for most of the day together, and the the kids would or the older the two older ones would uh, take some day watch time while we um, did whatever we needed to do. Okay. Well, you've got a, enough people on the boat that the watches shouldn't be too much trouble except for the night watches, like you say. And you don't have that many night watches to do because there's only so many passages you have to do in the Mediterranean. So now you're on to uh, day trips, I assume, correct? Yeah, we're keeping day watches. Uh, we're keeping day trips down to 50 miles. Um, I prefer 25 miles. It just makes... It makes the passage better, and it, and when you when you get there, there's time enough to actually see the place and and spend some time on the beach or walk in the town, and so that's that's the way I like to do it. That's not always what happens, but well, that's the way I feel. Know. I like to do fairly uh, six hours, mm, six hours, seven hours. Then after that, I want to be wandering around the town or village or whatever else. Uh, but uh, okay, so I've I've got Google Earth open, and I want to zoom in on where where you're at. So are you on the? Uh, give me the, give me a description so I can zoom in and ask questions about it. Okay, so we are on a little island just west of the tip of the third finger. There, yeah. it's called. Um, I'll just spell it out for you so I don't Hold have to on, pronounce the, it. It's the, third fi- the third finger from left to right or right to left. Okay, third finger on the west side. So the west side. On okay. the east side, I'm sorry. On the east side, so, I'm sorry. So you're on the east side, the third finger coming down. All right, so I'll zoom in there. Yeah. Okay. And Very bottom. Is it Ormos Levaki? Levki? No, the, the island is called... you want to pronounce that, babe? <laughs> it's E-L-A-F-O-N-I... S O S. Yep. Okay. All right. So, uh, okay. Almost yeah. Levki Le- 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 is uh, a bay on that island. Okay. So I was looking at the right island. So where are you at? Okay. Nisi. Ka- on the very, the very bottom there. There's a little bay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's kind of a larger bay. Oh and yeah. Right yep. to the right side. Yeah. There we are. Oh, beautiful beach yeah. there, isn't it? 
Yeah, it's an amazing beach. The kids have had a blast here. We've been here. This will be our second night. So we had yesterday afternoon and all day today to play on the beach and climb the hill. And I scrubbed the bottom of the boat. It was it was a fantastic day. It's one of the best beaches we've been to, honestly. We, we've gone to quite a few. Murthos, Mur- Murthos in, in Catalonia, which is supposed to be one of the best in uh, in Greece. Which definitely was a great beach, but this one I think is a is a rival to that. Okay, looks so, like you have a couple tavernas there too. Am I am I correct? Yeah, but they're closed. It's too uh, ah, too, too early. early. Okay. Yep. Have you been getting southerly winds this time of year? Because I know when I've been over there in uh, in May, uh, I've I've got southerlies. At least when I've got into the uh, Aegean. Have you had primarily had yep. northlies or or have they been northlies or southerlies? What's the weather like? So southerly. So we're we're the anchorage is a little bit rolly right now actually, but we're kind of tucked around uh, around the the hill here on the west side of the bay, <clears throat> and it keeps it down. But it's it's more rolly than I usually like, but. It's it's worth it for the for the spot. It's amazing. Yeah, it looks to me like you can go around that little I uh, that little peninsula and, and also anchor on the other side of that peninsula, but maybe that's even yeah, more exposed. Yeah. Yeah. So I think the prevailing wind here. That's probably a a more stable anchorage, but the winds are so light right now. All we're dealing with is a little bit of roll. So. Okay. All right. Well, Paul, when when you were talking to Jack, you told us that you were uh, an engineer. What type of engineer were you? Mechanical, electrical, civil? Yeah, I'm a professionally licensed mechanical engineer in the oh. state of Nevada. I've been working for, I, I used to work for GE, worked for them for 13 years, and I did a lot of engineering and project management for them. Okay. And a friend of mine, Gary Harris, who's been on the uh, podcast before, is also a mechanical engineer. And he's always made the argument that uh, the only true engineer is a mechanical engineer because you have to learn all the disciplines, the electronics, the uh, structural, <laughs> the design, <laughs> the whole thing. And he's, he's a rocket scientist at uh, Orbital ATK. But, uh, so you, uh, you design products then. Yeah, we design products. Um, it, the world has kind of moved on, though. I think uh, it, if I had to do it over again, I probably should have been an electrical or a firmware guy. So <laughs> there's a lot more new products in that uh, in that field. But I enjoy what I did. I love it. So okay, I don't regret it. So you're taking off. How many years do you think you're taking off for this uh, Mediterranean adventure? Well, um, we started in August and we, in August of 2017 and we will be back in the States in June of 2019. So almost two years. Okay. That's awfully fast. There's so much to see. You may delay that. (laughs) You may stay out there longer. (laughs) Oh yes. There's a lot to see. All right, so you've been... So you, really all the people looking for. Okay, now when you went through before, did you go through the Corinth Canal? Because I know you, you had a nightmare getting the boat purchased uh, in Turkey. 
And when you zoomed across to Sicily last year, did you go through the Corinth Canal on your way over? Yep, we did. Okay, so now you're con completing the circle this year then. All right. Yeah, we did the Dodecanese, and this year we're going to try to do the, the Cyclades and Crete and the Peloponnese. Okay. Well, I think you're doing Crete the right way. Heading down to Crete and working your way across, are you going to go across the north coast of Crete, or are you going to try to swing around the uh, south coast of Crete? Well, um, from what I hear, the north coast is the only thing worth seeing, but... Uh, have you been on the south coast no i haven't but if you go to the website i have a greek waters pilot that somebody that sailed in, in in excuse me a crete pilot that somebody that sailed in crete uh you know not no, numerous people contributed to this and i picked it up when i was at an anchorage in crete and so you can download that uh from the website if you want to go take a look at it and there, then they oh, then they detail, detail more of the anchorages also on the southern side. So since that's a free resource, you ought to go take a, take a look at it. Yeah, we will. Uh, but I've only sailed the north side, and I didn't. when I looked at the pilot, it didn't look like there was much on the south side. Uh, but that pilot, I wish, you know, of course I didn't have that much time to explore Crete, but uh, when I sailed... Were you using the Rod Hinkle? Yeah, mm -hmm, that's the one I was using. That's the only one. I mean, there really isn't any competing pilots that I'm aware of. So you know the the Rod Hinkle is really really light on anchorages. Yeah, it's, yeah, I've noticed that too. Town keys and and marinas, but if you want to really get away, it's kind of online resources and word of mouth. Yeah, yeah. So pick that up. It's got a lot lot of information. I think it's several hundred pages, uh, and it's just a PDF download. And if you can't find it write me i'll send you a link to it but it's at the website somewhere at the website i know i stuck it up there a while back but uh but it, well when, <clears throat> excuse me when i when i did it i came down from uh, i started in uh bodrum and uh worked my way down and went out and cleared into Simi, greece and then worked my way down from there and so i went all the way down to um uh, what's the name of the island Carpacus, and then over to uh, the other little island between Carpacus and Crete, and and then when I came back, uh, I had That's when us. I headed back up. Yeah, let's see what's the name of that island. It's uh, Kassos. That's right. That's where a lot of Greek shippers come from. Some of the wealthiest Greek shippers come from that little island. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, yeah. I did some research, and I actually interviewed. Uh, um, one of the shipping families that lives in New York, one, one of the heirs to the shipping fortune, the largest shipping fortune out of the island, um, from the island of Cassos. And he wrote a book called Feasts of Memory, where he talks about going back to Cassos for the first time uh, in his life as a 16-year-old and visiting his family, uh, his family island. Really interesting book. Uh, Kulakundis is his name. Anyway... Huh. Yeah, so that's a shipping island, even though they really don't have much of a harbor there. Uh, but anyway, you'll go from there over to Carpathos and then work your way north. Um, and I went straight from Erkelon straight up to, um, well, I went up to Anolfi, Anolfi, and that was a long beat against the prevailing winds, and it was uh, 
an uncomfortable sale, but nonetheless, once you get down to a Crete, you're sort of, you're going to have an uncomfortable sale getting back up, unless you can get over there and get up there in May, because you may have southerlies that blow you up in May. So that would be the perfect time to start working your way north when you have the southerlies, which are rare in the summer. But uh, this early in the year, you might actually might get some some southerlies. But that means you have to sort of blow through Crete fairly fast, too. So you don't necessarily want to do that. Yeah, our plan keeps changing. <laughs> we're, we're not doing anything that we said we were going to do. We're, <laughs> we seem to be... Taking the complete opposite directions. <laughs> but we're enjoying ourselves, and I think that's what matters. All right. So you're an engineer. We established that. But what really piqued my interest is uh, the do-it-yourself project, because I, I like DIY projects. I interviewed a guy that made an Arduino autopilot for his boat uh, oh, wow. a few years ago, and uh, he sent me all the detailed information and uh I've been I've I've got one assembled. I've got one that's worked out as a prototype on the on the uh the, the floor of my office. It worked just fine as the floor of my office. Then I had to start trying to put it on a circuit board and I my soldering skills are not as good as I'd like them to be and it's been a nightmare <laughs> since I took it from the uh breadboard stage trying to do it into a to an actual circuit board stage. That's where I've lost uh <laughs> lost momentum. But uh, so he he did that, and that's he's got the plans available if you reach out to him if it's something you're ever interested in. And he has a wheel steer uh, boat as well. Anyway, so you you developed a um, your own water maker, and I went onto YouTube and searched for uh, homemade water makers on a boat. And there's one I think it was a British couple that built their own as well. Uh, but tell us how you designed your water maker and what's the power source and how hard it was. Yeah. Well, the first thing I want to say is that a water maker is a real simple, simple um, device. The basic components of it are not complicated at all. Uh, you can you can make it complicated with lots of automated stuff, which I. I didn't. I'm going simple, easy to repair route. So basically, a, a water maker is a, uh, a reverse osmosis mem- membrane, um, and you can get those from several different places. I have a Dow membrane that I got from a guy out of Germany, and uh, then a high pressure pump and a needle valve. I mean, and that that essentially is is what it is. Uh, the the high pressure pump um, creates uh, about 50 bars of uh, of pressure, um, and you use the needle valve to control that pressure. Um, and you uh, you work from there. So basically, in my in my system, I I decided to go with a feed pump. So it's a low pressure feed pump, which is uh it's a jabsco bilge pump essentially that takes water from the ocean and we knew we were going to have a water maker when we bought the boat so we had a uh we had a dedicated um a dedicated seacock added for it uh and so that that goes to the the jabsco feed pump and then it goes through a five micron filter and from there, it goes to a uh, pressure washer, which is what I use for my high pressure. And um, 
that right there, I think, is the key to the system. And I don't want to take credit for that. I'm not the first one to to do that. When we were when we were looking at this, it took me a few months to decide what to do. I looked at several resources, and a high pressure pump can be really, really, really expensive. On the order of well, maybe this isn't expensive for some people, but for it's fifteen hundred euros here, fifteen hundred euros, fifteen hundred dollars in the states. Um, and then you you need some way to actually power that. So either an AC or DC pump, or maybe a power takeoff from your 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 engine, and it starts to get really expensive. But the uh, the the water maker is extremely cheap. I paid 70 euros for mine. Um, and it, uh, <laughs> it, it's easy to replace. You buy a new one on Amazon when it dies. Um, the, the gentleman that I met who, who used it before me, ha- says he replaces it, um, once every season, whether it needs it or not. And he has a spare. And so we're using ours uh, a little bit more than he would uh, with seven people on board, but uh, we'll see how, how long it lasts. It should last us at least one season, if not more, and then we'll have a spare on board. So is it just a single um, a single filter, a single um, Dow membrane, I guess I should say, not filter, but membrane? Yeah, and so from the high-pressure pump, it goes to a, a Dow um, – reverse osmosis membrane and that membrane uh you can buy those anywhere in the world um they're easy to replace how how long is it what's the physical length of the membrane this one's a meter and a half a meter and a half so three four four and a half feet five feet then huh yep so one membrane so i see a lot of these double membrane systems but you really don't need that is that correct? No, you, you don't. No, yeah, yeah, that is correct. You, you don't need it. The the bigger the me- the longer the membrane, the bit more memories you have, the more you can produce. Um. Okay. Now, is as is, is the membrane? And I think the membrane is that contained in a um, PVC or well, that that'd be in a in a high pressure sort of a something surrounding that can hold the pressure. Is that correct? Yeah, and generally you're not going to make that yourself. You'd you'd purchase that with the membrane. Ah, oh, okay. Um, All right. Yeah. yeah, you wouldn't. Well, I wouldn't make one of those on a boat anyway. Uh, so. So yeah, you you get the you get the uh, the assembly with the with the membrane inside, or you can get them separately and then insert the membrane. It's not difficult to do. Okay, but the assembly, the only, only, thing only, do, only thing you're going to replace is going to be the membrane, so the assembly is just a one-time purchase then, the, correct? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah, so the housing itself is, is a one-time purchase, and the membranes are supposed to last 7 to 10 years, so they, they as long as you treat them well, they... Um, they have a long life. Don't use chlorinated water to flush your system. That'll ruin your membrane. Um, when, if you're not using it every day, you want to flush it with fresh water. If you're planning on using it for um, a season during the winter or when you're on hard, you want to use a pickling agent. 
which is um, a uh, it's it's usually a glycol um, edible glycol. Sort of like uh, RV uh, RV antifreeze then. Yes, I, I don't know much about RV antifreeze, but you do want to make sure that you use um, uh, an edible uh, an edible edible glycol. Some of the antifreeze put in a vehicle are are poisonous to human beings, so be careful about that. Yeah, I know. Some of them are de you know, deadly poisonous. The green stuff is usually deadly poisonous. The pink stuff is the one that the RVs use. And also the stuff that I put in my summer home uh, when I go away for the winter to keep uh, the toilet bowls from freezing. Same sort of stuff. Because otherwise it just kills all the stuff in the septic system. So same sort of thing, I think, is what we're talking about. But anyway, you can. where do you buy that Do you over there? Where, do you just buy it at a, a marine store? So I haven't I haven't actually looked into that because we're using it every day. We don't plan on. Oh, that's um, right. <laughs> <laughs> we don't plan on clicking on it uh, until we get back to the states. So. Okay, tell me about the use of this and what's the output of it. And oh well, let me back up. The high pressure wash is that a um, is that a gasoline powered or an electric power pressure washer that you're using? So my pressure washer is a 240 volt AC. Um, pressure washer it it consumes 1400 watts so quite a bit uh, we we run it off of our solar and um we usually run it when the engine's running as well but we ran it today for 45 minutes here in in the bay just off of the solar um we have quite a bit of solar it's the the big modification we made to our boat we added 800 watts solar panels and a thousand amp hours of battery um, power to the boat when we bought it so it allows us to to run that uh, that pressure washer without having to use a generator or the engine or anything like that okay well that wouldn't uh, work for my boat because I don't have the ability to put up the um, the uh, solar panels but one thing that might work really well for me and a lot of other people are these little Honda generators that are very quiet 2000 watts would would do that they have these 2000 you, you know which one I'm talking about right yeah yeah I do actually we have the knockoff version of that um, that we've used uh, once to heat <laughs> to, to run the water heater in the boat um, but uh, we haven't used it to, to run the, the the pressure washer, but I know somebody who has a similar system that uh, uses a pressure washer, and he, he uses that Honda generator to, to run his system. Hmm. Okay. Now, physically, the size that this takes up, I'm trying to imagine where I could put something like this in my boat, but uh, I, I think my boat's actually a little too small even for any of this, but it's just a little bit, bit bigger boat this would be something that could be put in i think um yeah it's modular so you can fit everything in different places in the boat and in fact we are um we're we're actually going to move the the um pressure washer to the front of the boat in um in a locker that keeps it away from the cabin so it's less noisy for us uh the pressure washer itself is about a foot and a half tall and eight inches deep, 12 inches wide. 
the uh, the 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 membrane itself is um, four inches in diameter and four and a half feet long. Okay. And that's really and the and needle then, valve is just a needle valve, right? The needle valve is just a yeah, it's a three sixteen stainless needle valve, and that is positioned right on the outlet of the of the membrane housing. So that's on the outlet outlet where the fresh water is coming from, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. And I've got a couple of switches to operate the um, uh, the feed pump and the high pressure pump. But those can be positioned anywhere. Uh, the there is the the five micron filter. That's a normal home style uh, water filter. Mm-hmm. The kind you can pick up at Home Depot, then, huh? Exactly. So, and in term, and that's that's about it. Uh, I've also have uh, two uh, Y valves where I can that I can use to um, flush the the system or just take some of the the water directly off the water maker to save for later for flushing things like that. Okay. Now do you, you now do you flush it every day after you use it then? I do not. Um, cuz I'm using it every day, sometimes twice a day. <laughs> <laughs> and so we we have we flushed it um when we first started using it in the marina we would actually uh, when we first installed the system, we would actually go to the beach, or I would go to the beach, and get some water out of the ocean instead of getting it out of the getting it out of the marina and uh, use that to run it. So we flushed it a lot then, but uh, since we've been out, it's been in use very frequently. Hmm. Okay. Uh, you know, I, I met up with Jack last summer on the, uh, in Paros, uh, in Paros Harbor, and I was anchored right behind him, and he has that nice di- little dinghy of his. Um, but he was making runs to the, uh, <laughs> every day he was taking five-gallon jugs and going and getting water at the, uh, at the tap at the harbor and going back and forth and back and forth because he has a, a whole family to take care of. And so I, I'm sure Jack is thinking of putting a, a water maker on his boat if he hasn't already. And so I'm sure he... Yeah, I your know brain. he is. <laughs> yeah. I think it's amazing the freedom it gives you. It really does. I, ours was it was cost-effective. The whole, the whole unit cost me 1,200 euros, and that includes some of the plumbing mistakes that I made. Um, I bought some things that I didn't need, and then needed some stuff that I didn't know I needed. So, um, uh, so if, if you were really good about it, you could do it for a thousand euros, which is $1,200. Um, now did you do this? Maybe did, did you do this while you were on the hard in uh, Marmaris then? Or, or were you on the hard or in the water when you got to Mar, when you picked up your boat in Marmaris? We were on the hard in Marmaris, um, we had the we had the seacock added uh, in Marmaris, but we didn't add the water maker until um, we were in Marina de Ragusa. Oh, okay. So that was a project for this winter, then. Yeah, it was. We 
I actually ordered um, an Ecotech water maker, and it got stuck in customs. And it was a nightmare, and I ended up losing almost two thousand dollars in shipping costs. And there were times when I thought that we weren't even going to be able to get it out of customs and send it back. And uh, and so after that, we had I, I changed my well, my budget got significantly smaller, mm-hmm. and. Uh, we started looking at alternatives, and that's when I decided we were going to make our own. Okay. I have found in Europe that getting prices or getting marine parts is a nightmare. It's an absolute nightmare. I've tried to buy stuff in Croatia, and they can never seem to give you a price or a delivery or anything else. Even though it's supposed to be an EU, a common country, it seems to be a nightmare to get anything delivered uh, on a timely basis, except in Turkey. In Turkey, if you order it and it's at a marine store in Istanbul, they'll put it on a bus and it'll be back to, back to you the next day. I mean, Turkey's got great, great delivery as long as you don't have to go outside of the country. And and they've got every that's the key, right? Yeah, getting that's something the key. outside of Turkey is impossible. But if it, and if they have it in Turkey, they'll they'll get it to you fast. And if they don't have it, they'll make it. <laughs> yeah, that's right. You know, I had to replace. I ended up replacing the whole windlass on my boat, but I thought I was going to be able to replace just the uh, just the motor on it, the uh, DC motor. And so I searched all over the United States to find this DC motor and finally bought one and hauled it all the way over there with me. And then I flew into uh, Istanbul and, and actually went on to the, uh, uh, the, the uh, Asian side and spent a night over in the real industrial industrial shipbuilding part over in the Asian side, fairly close to the airport, uh, the Asian airport. I forget the name of it, but I went on a long walk through the, uh, the the shipyard industrial area, and I walked into a marine supply place, and they had four of them sitting on the shelf, the exact one that I'd hauled over. So they have pretty much everything. Oh no! Yeah, they have pretty much everything <laughs> you can imagine you need in Turkey somewhere. It's just a matter of finding it. And, uh, and then they had every marine store I could possibly ever need. It's not going to be on the uh, European side, but over on the Asian side, they've got marine store after marine store, and especially in this industrial uh, area over there. Would, and I enjoyed it. I love that. Not a single tourist trinket shop in sight. It was perfect. It was great. <laughs> yeah, we enjoyed Turkey, too. They they loved our five kids. That oh, was yeah. one thing. Well, the, first, first thing the first word I learned in Turkish was besh. Because it means five, and everyone we saw was yelling "besh, besh." You know, they <laughs> loved our kids. So, and then we had lots of things that we just had to make from scratch for the boat. We had a prop shaft that was made from scratch, um, a little uh, a block that I have on our on our outhaul for a sail. Um, I went to a few uh, marine shops and. They told me, oh, yeah, three weeks and 200 euros. And then I went to the machine shop, and they said $5 and five minutes. And I had a new block. Yeah, yeah. I've never been but I've never been anything but super impressed with the quality of workmanship of the Turkish uh, people and, and the friendliness of them. Yeah, I've bought, had lots of little special items made, and it's just cheaper to do it than, than go buy it. Yeah, it's, it's a lot simpler. And if you can find the machine shop. And there's always one or two machine shops in the town that, that you go to. So, you just so, got to walk two, three blocks into town. Yeah, yeah. 
Okay, so that's the water maker. Take, you know, it'd be great if you took some pictures and shared them with us. I'd put them up on the website. Do a YouTube video on it sometime and put it up. That'd be great if you have the time to do something like that. But I, I find it fascinating that you did this. And I like the idea that it's modular because most of the ones I see in the marine stores, it's one big, you know, size and you got to find a place in your boat to put it. And it's, uh, it's, you know, inconvenient. So I guess you can yeah. run hoses all over the boat. Do they have to be, I guess you have to have a high pressure hose that's going to go from the outlet of the uh, pressure washer into the uh, membrane. That's going to have to be a high pressure hose. Yep, but that the great thing is that the water maker comes with one. Oh, okay. How so uh, you, long that, enough? Okay, so yeah. So what you'll you'll end up doing is getting the ten meter hose, or yeah, ten meter hose. Oh, um, okay, and that'll cover anything then. And that that'll cover anything, and you want you want the extra length just to absorb any pressure shocks. Um, it the stretching of the hose keeps the protects the membrane from being um you know i don't, i forget what they call it but it's it's something in in your house you or in old houses you'll you'll actually hear this a lot where you turn the faucet off and then all of a sudden you'll hear this this pressure wave in the mm-hmm. in the pipes mm-hmm. yeah that's yeah. called water hammer yeah there you go water hammer so you you get the longer hose and that'll protect your membrane a little bit okay good now let's talk about your next project, your air conditioning project. Yeah, air conditioning was another simple one. Um, we uh, <laughs> we have um, well, we bought the boat in Turkey in August, and it was burning hot. Um, <laughs> we were dying. I, I, let me tell you, I've I've paid, were, I've paid for a lot of. Uh, of uh, cheap hotel rooms as long as they had air conditioning when I've been there in August. It's just <laughs> unbearably hot. Yeah, I know exactly what you're saying. Yeah, there were there were tears and gnashing of teeth. And so I went to uh, I went to the Marine Service guy and I asked him to quote me a, a an air conditioning unit for the boat, a Marine air conditioning unit. And he said, seven grand. And I said, well, I can't afford that. And I went, then I went into town and I went to uh, the uh, the grocery store and they had they had this 9,000 BTU uh, home appliance air conditioner unit on the shelf there um, and it only took 600 watts to to cool and we have we have um, 780 watts of of solar panels and um, I. I I didn't buy that particular one. I ended up going with a Samsung unit um, from a different shop, uh, but it was one of the best decisions I ever made, actually. Um, I, I honestly don't think we would have lasted. We probably would have left Turkey because we were there for six weeks if we hadn't put that air conditioning unit in there in the boat. Now, now tell me, when I've looked at... Now, are these the kind that you see... Uh, uh, basically over doorways or over windows uh, that that are about six inches wide and about three or four feet yeah, long. Okay, uh huh. You don't quite see those in the in the states very often, do you? No, but I've started to see a few more of them. Yeah. Yeah, my neighbor put one yeah, in well, his garage. Right. Yeah. 
there's two modules, right? There's a there's an indoor module, which is the one that you see over the door. Mm-hmm. And then there's the out, outdoor module. And um, the outdoor module we put in our forward, um, forward um, la- lazarette. Okay. And so we we crack we crack the lazarette open when we're running it because it does get really hot in there. It's a heat pump essentially, mm-hmm. right? Um, to to air the the lazarette out, but um, it works really well. It protects the it protects the the outdoor unit from salt water splashing and uh, and things like that. We've never run it while we're while we're sailing, but um, definitely run it, you know, in the marinas and. Now, now you've got uh, hoses that go between the two parts, right? How big are the hoses? The the hoses are not um, not real big, and we mounted it. Now you can mount it anywhere in your boat. You can mount the indoor unit anywhere in your boat, um, but the hoses are the the hoses themselves are about half inch hoses, mm-hmm. but they have a uh, an insulation pad around them which makes them about an inch and a half or two inches okay. in diameter and those can be run all the way to the back of the boat if needed um or in our case we just uh, are we have it mounted on our bedroom um wall right above the v-berth and uh, it the the hoses literally just go through the wall into the lazarette to the to the outdoor unit Okay. All right. So you don't now. When you put the hoses in, did you have to have a refrigeration uh, guy come and charge them again? I mean, because basically that's where the charge comes from. The uh, not the freon. It was a, the whatever the refrigerant, the freon refrigerant, or it's not freon anymore, but it's uh, whatever the refrigerant is. Or did he, were you able to connect yes. it? Well, y- yes, you do. I don't have I don't have that equipment. So yes. Okay, all right. I've got the but equipment, you, but I don't know how well, to use it. I, I've got the equipment, but I'm not sure I could uh, could do it effectively. So I've always hired and 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 they they know refrigeration in Turkey anyway. So they so you found somebody local to come and do it then. Well, the great thing is the place I I bought it from. They came out and did that for me, so I didn't have to look around. Okay. So basically, you've, you've got this in the very forward locker of your boat, which might, for some people, be, be a, a sail locker or a chain locker. But it's got a, a hatch, actually, a, a lazarette hatch on the forward part of your boat. And, uh, and then basically, just coming through the bulkhead is where you mounted it above the, above the V-berth. And, and then it blows through the whole yeah. boat then. Yeah, it does. Um, it's... It's nine thousand BTUs, and what they recommended for me was eighteen. Um, so eight, it's about twice that for the boat. Mm-hmm. So we don't generally heat cool the the back two cabins, but we can get away with the uh, the salon and the master V berth. Okay. Pretty well, and if we really need to be cold, we just close the master bedroom and uh, it becomes an ice box in here <laughs> all right well that's great so those are your two really 
save a lot of money do-it-yourself projects. And how much did the air conditioning co air conditioning unit cost you then? It cost me 500 U.S. Okay. And I bought a pretty nice one. It's a Samsung, um, very efficient, you know, unit with a remote control and looks nice. So that was, we could have gone a lot cheaper, but that was what I chose. Okay. Now, any other great money-saving uh, do-it-yourself projects, what other ones did you do on your boat? Well, we we have a chest freezer on the boat, which is just a a, a um, standard home chest freezer. Mm -hmm. When we bought the boat, uh, it advertised as having a freezer, but what I didn't realize was it is the um, the the freezer only runs when the engine's on because the compressor is power takeoff. Um, oh, okay. So, which doesn't do us much good. Yeah, because you're at anchor a lot. We're at anchor a lot. We try to sell as much as possible, and it just it we can't keep it cold. And I I looked at I talked to some refrigeration guys about changing the our freezer, making it a a marine freezer, and and they just couldn't make it into a freezer they could make it into a refrigerator and they wanted 1200 euros and so i i went and bought uh this off-brand freezer which is plenty big for our family um for less than 100 euros i think it was like 69 euros and um it takes almost no power i'm not you know, I, I don't even actually know how much power it does. I should, I should, I should check, but it's never been a problem. I run it when the, I run it when the high pressure, um, <clears throat> when the high pressure water maker is on, and that takes fourteen hundred watts, and it never complains about it. It's just the uh, the modern home appliances are so efficient that it almost doesn't make sense to do marine stuff anymore. I don't think. So how did you, now did you put this against uh, your hull or the middle of the boat? I mean, the problem with, with yeah. home appliances is they're cubular or cubic, you know, and a boat's round. And so how did you fit it in? Yeah, that is true. So it does take up this, uh, a little bit of space for us. And um, we, we, we've been talking about ways to move it. Um, it's actually a, a very hot topic of discussion in this in this boat. There's a, <laughs> after after we bought this, um, and then we started sailing. I met a guy who has the exact same boat as this, um, and he had taken out the refrigeration unit and the freezer unit in the boat. He just ripped it all out, and put in side-by-side, -side, um, like, college-style mm -hmm. uh, refrigerator mm -hmm. and a freezer, you know, the same type, side-by-side, -side, right underneath the counter, and uh, did the same, kind of the same thing we did. And so my wife has been bugging me to do the same thing ever since. <laughs> she, she's giving me the stink eye now, but she really wants me to do it. Every project I do, she says... Well, why don't we uh, 
So yeah. that's probably going to happen at some point because it does take up a lot of room. Yeah, the only problem I can see with that is is in a boat when you're on a heel, if you open up a, a regular refrigerator door, everything's going to fly out of there. You know, so it's, I always like the top loading. Did, now, is your freezer top loading? Yes, our freezer is top loading. Um, our refrigerator, the the marine, the refrigerator that came with the boat is is side loading. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. Uh, you'll you'll figure out what's best. Well, Paul, I appreciate your your tips, and uh, this is really valuable information for us people that are trying to sail on a budget and don't mind taking on projects. So, I really appreciate your time. And uh, yeah, how long? Where's your next? big hop are you going to hop all the way over to uh milos uh or where's your next big hop you're going to head over to so i think we're heading towards hydra and we haven't quite decided what we're going to do but it's tomorrow okay so So you're you're working your way north then okay great yeah we'll be working our way north and then we'll head down to crete via santorini Oh, okay. All and right. Then, You're going to miss Milos then. Where is Milos? I'm well, actually, to you know, out. you probably, you know, if you go from Hydra, I mean, you could hit Milos. It, it, it would be a, it would be a overnight sail from where you're at. Hydra's basically due west of you right now, pretty close to west of you. And so I, Hydra is up at... Uh, Near Athens, right? So yeah, your Hydra is north, uh, north northwest of you, and and Milos is about sixty-two nautical miles uh, east northeast of you. Yeah, I think I think we're definitely going to hit Milos. The the plan is to hit everything in the kind of the the center and southern Cyclades. So we're gonna we're gonna go from he uh, Hydra to uh, Kithos, 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 yeah, and then the Seraphos, and then on down to, uh, uh, yep. yeah, Sifnos, and then maybe down to, uh, Milos then, and then, yeah, then working we're just going to put all around in there all the way till we're going to meet somebody in June in, in Santorini, and then we'll keep going, uh, east down to kind of the opposite I think of what you did so mm-hmm. down to Carpathos Cassos and then top the well right now we're thinking the top of Crete and then back up the Peloponnese and west ah okay okay so you're not going directly to Crete right now you're going to go over and come down just like I did before before then so you'll be coming in in a clockwise direction and back up then. okay yeah. all right so yeah. the same way you're yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, in Alfie's, uh, you know, once you get to Santorini, you're going to be overwhelmed with tourist boats and tourist stuff, and it's beautiful, but, man, it is crowded. And uh, then if you just head straight over about 10 miles to the next island over in Alfie, if you can find an anchorage there, and there are some hidden ones, uh, some moorings that have fallen off that are on the bottom of the water there in that little harbor. If you get in your snorkel, you might find one. And tie your boat off, and Anolfi is just the opposite of uh, of uh, Santorini. Uh, I really enjoyed Anolfi. <laughs> I rented scooters and rode around there for days because I felt pretty secure because I had a big, thick 
mooring line that I was tied to a a thousand ton block on the bottom. Otherwise, I wouldn't have felt comfortable because I'm not sure the anchorage is that good over there. So, did you do so, Anolfi? Did you ask the Palaya? Uh, from Anolfi, yeah, I've been I've been to Anolfi a couple times, and I've been to Ostapalaya a couple times, and Amagoros a couple times, or uh, probably three or four times, but. Ostapalaya is uh, the next stop over from Analfi. And if you do head over there, every time, every time I've gone up to the main town of uh, Ostapalaya from the west, um, the winds start filling in in the afternoon. And when you round that corner uh, just on the southern end of Ostapalaya to start working your way north, it's really storm force winds. In fact, that's the only time... When I was sailing around the south coast of Ostapalaya, I had a, a dinghy on my foredeck, just sitting there. I, you know, I didn't really have it tied down, uh, but a big gust of wind came up and picked it up off the deck and threw it in the water, and I had to go chase it down. So now I make sure my dinghy's tied down because of those gusts like that. So just a heads up, it's a great sail. You, it was great until I got right to the uh, tip of Ostapalaya. And then the afternoon winds, it seems like a Venturi effect for some reason, seems to come around the south side of that island and then down and right down through the uh, the north side. If there's any sort of MLT me blowing. And the boat that was with me the last time I did, I was there was another boat working its way across the south side the same time I did. It was a charter boat. And I, and I, was, suck, I was staying as close to the coast as I could uh, it's deep coast, so you can get right up to the coast to get as much wind shelter from the coast, uh, from uh, as much wind shadow as I could from the island. And I worked my way around there. The waves weren't bad until I rounded the corner. And once I rounded the corner and headed up, let's see if I can see the name of this peninsula. Anyway, there's a little peninsula that you have to round to get up to the main uh, town of Ostapalaya. Uh, um the winds just blew, and, and I started pointing right into it, again, hu- hugging the shore as close as I could, even though it was a little longer. And the other boat that was with me turned with me, and he didn't have enough power on his motor to, to motor up, and he ended up going somewhere else. But he couldn't go north. It was just too much wind to go north. So my suggestion is if you do that from Analfi to Ostapalaya. And so I've only had two experiences like this. I've never had a... a it's always been uh, in the afternoon when you get over there. So get get an early start, and you might might avoid that because this was later in the afternoons that that I turned up. So, uh, but that town up there in Ostapalaya is really neat, and you want to get into there early because the anchorage fills up pretty fast as well. The town of Ostapalaya. Yeah, we're hoping to be. So we're hoping to be down a creek, probably the first week of July. And hopefully beat beat the crowds in the Cyclades and May and early June. So, so yeah, yeah. The plan anyway. See well, what well, well, Crete is a a big tourist town. I mean, the the entire north coast of Crete is just one resort after another resort after another resort. I mean, there's lots really? of resorts along the north coast of Crete. I was a little disappointed in it. But what is really spectacular is if you rent a car and drive up into the uh, the middle of the island, there's this this absolutely drop-dead gorgeous mountain mountain uh, valley up there that, uh, that you don't want to miss. 
So we rented a car. We drove from, we were in uh, Nicola, Nicolos, uh, the anchorage at Nicolos, and that's where I got that pilot from another boat in that harbor. We rented a car, drove over to Heraklion, and then up to uh, Dika, Agione. I'm looking at Google Earth, otherwise I wouldn't remember these places. Agione, Dika, and then took the mountain, tra mountain roads back down to uh, Nicholas. So we did a big circle, and that going up to the top of the mountains and seeing that mountain passes, uh, the, the mountain valley is gorgeous got dollies you know if you get a chance do that of course you've got five people seven people you're gonna have to rent a van to do that so <laughs> it may be more well, difficult for you we rent vehicles here but we don't tell them how many people we have <laughs> yeah yeah anyway you'll enjoy it but uh the coast from Heraklion, um and i haven't been i haven't been uh west of Heraklion. But I've been east because, uh, but I assume it's pretty, uh, pretty touristy all along the coast there. In Utah, we have a lot of Greeks from uh, from Crete. For some reason, that's where a lot of the uh, miners for the Utah really? mines, mines came from Crete. So when I see, uh, when I talk to a Greek person in Utah, and we have two uh, Greek Orthodox temples in Salt Lake, two separate ones. But the bulk of uh, the Greeks in Utah came from. Uh, Crete, and for some reason it's because they came over and, and worked the mines in Price, Utah, and uh, and Kennecott and the other mines, and they were, I guess they learned mining on the uh, island. I guess there's quite a few mines on Crete. A lot of uh, a lot of Greeks in Utah come from Crete. Yeah. So where is your boat now? Uh, my boat is in Dubrovnik right now. Last year I took my boat from um, from Bodrum, Turkey. And worked worked my way all the way over to Italy, and then uh, up to Dubrovnik, and that's where it wintered the year. And next year, okay. next year I'm trying to go north through the Adriatic. Probably try to get up to Venice. We'll see if I do that or not. Cool. Well, Paul, I want to thank you for joining us and sharing your knowledge. And uh, I want to get a full report from you after you've done the Peloponnese twice. So you'll do it twice. So at the end of the summer, are you going back to? Uh, Marina Ragusa to winter next year? Well, the plan is to cross the Atlantic. Oh, uh, okay. Year. Oh, okay. So you got a lot you got a lot of travel to do that between now and then. I think you're uh yeah. it's gonna be an adventure. So <laughs> so you'll be going straight back around uh back around the Peloponnese and then from the Peloponnese you'll probably head over to Sicily or Malta and then work your way Hopefully up. Malta, to, yeah. Yeah, Malta's worth seeing. And Gozo's worth seeing too, but trouble is, I think if you go to Malta, they're pretty strict on their customs in Malta, and I think you can clear in and clear out out of uh, the main bay of Malta, but you want to go visit the island of Gozo, and I don't think there's a clear in and clear out at Gozo. You might double check that, but okay. check out Gozo if you can. It's uh, it's worth a trip. And then you'll head up from there up to, um, well, you'll probably hit back to Sicily and then uh, Syracuse. Uh, then where are you going to go from there? You'll go over to Sardinia. 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 Yeah, and then the Balearics. Yeah, you've yeah. got a lot of, you've got, <laughs> you know, you're going to be going, you're going to be traveling 4,000 nautical miles this year just to get over to the Straits of Gibraltar. Yeah, it's going to be a fun year. <laughs> that's for sure. It's uh it's 
I don't know. I'm really, really looking forward to a full 12 months of sailing. Um, you know, when we bought the boat, we didn't get the, the amount of sailing in that we wanted to the first season. So we're, uh, we're going to make up for it. Okay. Well, you'll definitely get plenty of sailing in. So keep us, uh, keep us uh, in touch with what you're doing. I really appreciate it. I'm back with Paul. Paul and I finished up the interview just a few minutes ago, and then you sent me a note saying, hey, you know, I'd like to get some remote work if possible. Uh, share my, my LinkedIn profile with the listeners in the show notes. And I said, no problem, but let's, let's just get back on and talk about, you know, people make money cruising in multiple ways. And remote work is possible because, because you're, you know, most of the work nowadays is done on a computer. So talk to me about what you're looking for. And you know, some of our listeners may have a need for your services. So just talk about your skill set and, and uh, what you're really looking for. Well, you know what, friends? Uh, I'm really open to anything. Um, as long as it allows me to do remote work. But I've got lots of experience in mechanical engineering. I'm very adept at 3D um, CAD work, 2D CAD work. Uh, I've been working in oil and gas for 13 years, so I know a lot of process. And um, <clears throat> and I'm also a certified project management professional as well. So I do have a wide range of skills that I can I can use and adapt to really any any sort of mechanical engineering or engineering project out there. Um, but uh, I've worked I've worked remotely before. I mean, most of my employers um, were always out of state, uh, and uh, my my the management team that I worked with was <clears throat> was always. Uh, you know, always in a situation where I kind of set my own agenda and, and, and deliver the results that they needed. Um, so I, I can't say much more than that, other than that I'd, I'd really love to, to do something remotely that allow us to to continue this adventure as, as long as possible. And even if, uh, if this adventure ends, um, we'd still like to do some land-based adventures, um, when, when we're done sailing. And so remote, uh, a kind of a long-term remote, uh, arrangement would be, would be fantastic for us. Okay. Yeah. I know I've hired, uh, people once in a while for mostly logo work, artwork, uh, on, it used to be called Elance, but I think it's something else now. Have you got your profile up there, and have you let people know? Because you can get some pretty advanced people on on some of these hiring services. Yes, so I, I do have a, a LinkedIn profile um, that I'll I'll shoot you a link to. I also have a profile on Remote uh, Work, uh, which is a, another website, and a few others. Let me... Okay, all right. No, I work. Yeah, I think I you know, I think um you know, 4000 miles in one year through the med. That's so much so much you're going to be missing, but uh uh you know, but I went over in 98 thinking I was going to be there for 2 years and I'm still there in 2017. So yeah. <laughs> you may find that you you want to slow down and if you can find the ability to to earn a living while you're over there, that would be great. But yeah, I I uh I can see that there would be 
you know, I assume you use what uh, AutoCAD and what's the other big one? Uh, SolidWorks. Those are the two big ones. Yep. Yep. I'm proficient in both SolidWorks and AutoCAD inventors, the 3D version, and then just AutoCAD mechanical or electrical is the 2D version. So, yeah, I would. Uh, I would think yeah. there'd be plenty of demand for your services for that sort of a skilled, skilled type of type of work. So I will share it with other people. We'll just add this on at the end of this uh, interview. And if anybody wants to get a hold of you, the link for your uh, will be at the uh, show notes. All right, Paul. All right, thank you so much, friends. Appreciate it. Okay, we'll talk to you later. Bye bye. Life is short. In the end, all that really matters is the memories you make. So make a few. Go sailing.